7.05, and what do you know? It's a Monday night, so it's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Huge show on tap for you tonight, and Ira will talk about that in just a minute. But Ira, how you been? You're not in studio tonight. I know you're halfway across the country. Well, I'm in Los Angeles. I was at the Steeler Oakland game uh, yesterday, last uh, yesterday afternoon. It was a tremendous game, a horrendous loss for the Steelers, right. but it was exciting. My first time uh, it's Oakland for a game, and I wanted to, because they're going to be closing the stadium, probably the last time the Steelers ever go there. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wanted to go to see that as you know, one of my stadiums that I went to, and I was at a Laker game earlier this week. I can't wait to hear all about um, not just the game, which was just a weird one, <laughs> but also about this. I don't know many people who've ever been to Oakland, so this this should be a good story. I remember this is a weird football season, and I mean weird in a good way. I'm absolutely loving this football season. Obviously, it's not the best for the Giants, not the best for the Steelers. Doesn't mean I can't enjoy the games week in and week out and the storylines, which is what the NFL is all about. I don't know who's going to win week to week in any game, and that's what makes it exciting for me. Ira, I would say this. I'd say there's six very good teams. There's not one great team. There is not a great team in this league, and that, Ira, is why I think we're seeing just these crazy finishes week in and week out. Well, not only a great team, but the other teams, and I think it's what's good for football right now is now, I know the Redskins got destroyed by the Giants, but in general, you're seeing some of these teams that are, quote, out of the playoffs that are still playing hard and winning games. And I think that's it's a tribute to the players, tribute to the coaches, tribute to the teams. There's a lot of money. Now we'll see what happens with the final two weeks of the season. But you do like the fact that teams are really playing hard now, even even when they're out of the playoffs. You know, that that's a great point, though, Ira. Who would have thought San Francisco would beat Denver? Uh, San Francisco's been out of the playoffs since week three. <laughs> since Jimmy G went down, Denver's been trending in the right direction, and San Francisco goes in and beats them. You're right. It, bad teams and teams that are out of it, are still playing really good, and like your Miami Dolphins, who aren't out of it, we had a shocker yesterday. We'll talk about that in one second, but first, Ira, big guest tonight. It's Cliff Stout, former NFL QB. You want to tell us a little bit about him? Well, Cliff Stout is <laughs> very interesting. He was the quarterback. He played with the Youngstown State. was a superstar at Youngstown State, one of the best uh, quarterbacks at the time right then, and set all the records. And then he went and was drafted in the fifth round for the Steelers, then he backed up Terry Bradshaw. So growing up as a Steelers fan, it's always who's the backup quarterback? It's Cliff Stout. And then when Terry retired and during his last injury play season, he actually um, started the whole year and, and took the Steelers to the playoffs uh, where they lost in the first round. But then he went on to a, a career. He played two years in the USFL, was probably the most has, I think, all-time records of touchdowns and passing yards in the USFL, too. And then he came in with a backup in the NFL for a few years. So he also backed up for your Dan Marino. So he backed up Bradshaw and Marino. So I think we're going to ask him some questions about being a backup in the NFL to superstars, follow, actually following a superstar, and then sort of some of that as USFL experience. It's going to be a great interview here on Iron Sports, right about 7.50. Ira Woods, he was part of the transitional um, St. Louis to Phoenix Cardinals team, too, which is interesting. You know, you don't know a lot of players that have been involved in something like that. Then, of course, Phoenix changed his name. But uh, so this will be a great interview with Cliff Stout right about 7.50 here on Ira on Sports. I think everyone in South Florida yesterday had a good time. Whether you were a Dolphins fan or not, unless you were a Patriots fan, you really enjoyed that game. The Dolphins had a thriller win, 34-33 to in the last second of the game versus the Patriots. I tell us about this one. Well, it was one. I'm at, I'm at the Oakland Coliseum uh, watching uh, you know, getting ready for the game. So this game was the one o'clock. So I got to see the first half at a sports bar next to it and then walked over. And so I was watching, I, I saw about 80% of the game. <laughs> so people were, and it's exciting because you're in the, in, in the Coliseum in the club section. So the people there were more, everybody was gathered around watching the ending of the chiefs game and, and also uh, the, the ending of the Patriots game, which was just amazing. I mean, first of all, this is fantasy playoff season. Everybody's involved in it. And there's always this, concern on these teams like who to start and what running backs to start and all those things and Brandon Bolden who as a Patriot had 219 rushing attempts and only two touchdowns and his first two times six touchdowns sorry he had two touchdowns on his first two t running attempts <laughs> for the Dolphins which was unbelievable because you're looking who's scoring these touchdowns for the Dolphins and it's Brandon Bolden who nobody had on the fantasy team so that was interesting, but it was the first time they've, they've had 107 meetings between teams, and, and not once has each team scored three touchdowns in the first half. So it was 27-21 uh, at the halftime with the Patriots leading. Uh, and uh, when, the, when the Pats, you know, the Finns were up 28-27, the Patriots kicked the field goal 
And then the Finns went at four and out, and the Patriots then kicked another field goal, and they, they really left only 16 seconds to go. So it's 33-28. Belichick said, well, should we go for, uh, you know, just run a play and just run some more time off the clock and leave them with like eight or nine seconds left or something like that. But go, they went for another uh, field goal, and that left it 33-28 with 16 seconds. So what's the chance? You know, they have ESPN has those things. They have 1% chance to or point oh one percent chance. <laughs> but uh, my, Miami did a hook and ladder play, which we which you're starting to see teams do at the end of the end of the games all the time. They never work. Uh, but the ones that work you remember forever. And the key I've watched this play like ten times today. And Tanny Hill had the ball in the thirty one and he threw to uh, Stills at the fifty, who quickly laddered to Parker and then to Drake and uh, like around the 40, they had these loud, they each ran like five yards, and then Drake took her on the 40 and ran, had an amazing run. I mean, the thing is, legendary run from Kenyon for, Drake. Uh, no, go yeah, ahead. That, that run was fantastic. Yes. I mean, he avoided so many, uh, he did a Z, avoided so many other people. At the end, was Gronkowski was in the game. So the question is why Gronkowski was in the game for Patriots trying to block a pass or knock down a pass when they weren't really. No one's going. Tannehill's not going to throw a seventy-yard pass in the air. But um, the key, I think, was the quick uh, laterals that they were able to do. Sometimes you see these guys and they get the ball and they're running around and mm-hmm. running around and they're trying to throw it across, and it just it looks like totally sandlot. They said this is a sandlot play, but it was completely laid out. They get the ball, lateral quick, have another guy run down, have another quick lateral, and that's what. And keep it just a few laterals, not a million laterals. And I think that was what the success was. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, this is what Adam Gase was brought in there for, right, Ira? Some creativity. T- take a Dolphins offense that's been so pedestrian for years. And and make them something different. You brought up fantasy real quick. By the way, I have Kenyon Drake and Ryan Tannehill in my league. So you better believe I was pretty excited as that game ends. May have uh, may have won the playoff week for me. But I read this is one of those classic AFC East matchups. And I, you know, being an NFC East, being a Giants fan, I do think that you really never know who's going to win those games. The Cowboys will be thirteen and three. Their three losses will be to the NFC East. You can't pick NFC East games, and you really can't pick AFC East games. Anyone who does a pick em pool and goes out and picks Buffalo for two losses versus the Patriots every year, you're going to lose one of those. If you do that with the Dolphins, the Dolphins beat the Patriots every year. The Jets get the Patriots every year. I think it's maybe the hardest division in football to pick outside the NFC East. What about you? Well, yeah, the Patriots have those games. Now, they had a bad game against the Titans, too. Now, this is not a very good—this Patriots team is not one of the legendary teams. That's the one thing we talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Clearly, he is now getting his—what I like about the Patriots, though, is like Gronkowski, eight catches, 107 yards. Josh Gordon, five catches, 96 yards. Edelman, nine catches, 86 yards. And then they get Sonny Michel, who had a bad game running. But their offense seems to be gearing up. Now, defensively, they're having problems again. And this was, uh, you know, letting Miami come back into the game and, and, and scoring all those points in the first half uh, is a problem. And, and that's a, the problem that the Patriots had last year in the playoffs, too, and why they lost the Super Bowl to the Eagles. You know, Ira, we're going to talk about bad coaching decisions um, in just a couple of minutes here on Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. It's 713. How much of the blame goes to Belichick on this? Uh, I mean— the decision, I mean, on top of clock management, the decision to have Rob Gronkowski just standing on the 15-yard line, every single player on the Patriots roster besides Gostowski has a better chance than Gronkowski of making that play to take Kenyon Drake down. It ended up being a foot race with Drake and Gronkowski, and Gronkowski's flat-footed, and uh, you know um, Drake has a beeline 20 yards for the end zone. You're putting some of this on Belichick? Oh, he took total responsibility. I mean, give him credit to me. He said it's all on him in terms of the decision that he made to do that. Um, it didn't make much sense. Uh, you would you would hope they would have another defensive back in the game that would have been able to track him down. Because all you really had to do was push him out. And the one thing they didn't do in that play defensively is get in front of the person. You don't really have to make, quote, the tackle, but just stop them because they're going to keep trying to lateral the ball. They're trying to score a touchdown. And so the key is to, is to get in front. They never got someone in front of Drake. Uh, and they're chasing him. It, it was just a bad alignment, and it was a great play. Look, you got to give the Dolphins credit. They say they practice this play. This wasn't just something they just uh, the fly did. They practice it. They execute it. They have very good athletes, and you have four people that that really knew what to do. And and I, that's this is how that play works. The ones that are successful are those quick. I mean, the Tennessee miracle they had where they threw Music City the field, miracle. The same thing. You have to make it has to be a fast play, and it just can't just be running around. And the California band play with Stanford. That was a little crazy, but that was because the bands on the field, it was, it was college. But in a pros, you have to do a play like this, and they execute it perfectly. 
Yeah, I happened to be in Nashville during the Music City Miracle, and that was just a Frank Wycheck to Kevin Dyson and beat the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Divisional game, something I'll never forget, just like I'll never forget that game yesterday. This is Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies channel. I made a mistake. Cliff Stout joins us at uh, 7.40, not 7.50. You're not going to want to miss this former NFL uh, professional quarterback. Ira, we got to catch up with Sean uh, just a little bit ago. Sean is in Dallas. He got to take in... Um, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, from what you have to say. Let's hear uh, how Sean's take on the whole Dallas scenario, the city, and the game went. You're listening to Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Ira, it's time to catch up with our good buddy Sean LaGrega. Not in with us tonight because he's in Dallas taking in uh, the Cowboys, I believe, fourth straight win now, Sean. Uh, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Ira considers one of the best stadiums in all of sports? Oh, my God. I mean, to, to start off the... When you see the stadium, it's so breathtaking because it's so big that you you don't even you don't even realize that it's a football stadium. And when you first get there, right, you see where the Texas Rangers play. I mean, they're literally right next to it, and it's kind of it's like laughable. It's probably a fourth of the size of AT and T Stadium. So when when you first get into the parking lot, you're coming and you you see this giant dome. I mean, it is it is it's an architectural's uh, uh, an engineer's dream. I mean, it's it's something to be beholden. So uh, absolutely breathtaking as a, as a lifelong Cowboy fan to, to go there for the first time and see it, go to Jerry's World. I mean, it's, it was an unbelievable experience. And, and, you and, and see, a must-do for every Cowboy fan. You got to see Jerry pretty up close and personal, too, from uh, you know the pictures you showed me in Ira. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we had tickets to what is the, it's the Miller Light Club. Uh, so when you watch you know, on, on TV where the players come out of that tunnel, that's exactly where we were. So we were about a foot below uh, the actual field and it's really cool it's kind of like a little party deck and stuff um has two different sides but right behind uh, uh the, the benches as well but you know when they're coming out you know to practice you're seeing all the players it's really cool to see how you know the, the position groups all come out together uh you know they do their little um you know pep talks together uh but to see jerry jones i, I mean i couldn't believe how gracious this guy was i mean he must have taken about 20 minutes um walking up and down both sides probably about 30 feet, signing autographs, taking pictures with people, you know, making sure he high-fied every single kid that was up in the front row. It was just, it was just really nice to, 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 to see, you know, an owner uh, such as Jerry Jones really, you know, where he appreciates his fans so much to take the time and do that. It was, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Shoney, why don't you tell us, you know, speaking about uh, Jerry Jones, tell us about the star, which is, I guess, their headquarters there. Yeah, so we went to the Star on Saturday, and that's the corporate headquarters, but it's also the practice field. Uh, so it's in Frisco, um, and when when you pull up, it, it's 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 kind of like there's you know there's a little restaurants and bars, but it's all Dallas Cowboys everything. So even on the sidewalks, um, you know, it has the Ring of Honor players, and they have these giant numbers out there. But the thing with the Star was, I mean, when you walk in there and see all the history, you know, the first thing they call it's the the stat wall, and it's you know the five Super Bowl appearances, how many division championships they've won, how many people they have inducted in the Hall of Fame, um, just the attention to detail, even the way the carpet is, uh, it has you know stars uh, in, in the carpet logo. Uh, you walk into the war room where they draft the tables, the tables designed like a football. The lights on the ceiling are, are, are indicative to, to showcase you know lacing on the football. I mean every little every little thing that you saw there. Um, where they told us about it, it was Charlotte Jones, uh, Jerry Jones's wife, who really kind of put her touch on it, mm-hmm. um, and it was absolutely amazing. And, and you know, one thing that they pointed out during the tour, when I talk about how how much of attention, uh, attention to detail that they put in there, Roger Stallback and Drew Pearson, you know, famous for the Hail Mary. You know, I just closed my eyes and I and I said a Hail Mary prayer, and you know, 50 yards uh, against the Vikings, and you know, we score a touchdown when the playoff came. Um, their numbers on the street are actually 50 yards away from each other. So that's the <laughs> level of attention to detail we're, we're talking about. So, I mean, just for any Cowboys fan out there, you know, if you get a chance, you know, I know the stadium tour is cool, but to visit the star, see where the players play. We saw Tyron Smith walk right past us. Sean Lee walked right past us. So it was just, it, it was unbelievable. Ira, you've, you know, you've come out on Ira on Sports and said that you'd love uh, going to AT&T Stadium because it's just one of the best venues that you've ever been to. Yeah, son, why don't you describe the scoreboard? I mean, is there anything like that scoreboard <laughs> that you've ever seen in your life? It was funny because it's, it's, it's not even describable. I mean, we went, when you walked in, um, we, we, we walked in to see the field because you had to walk in and then go down to get to the middle of light. 
all, I was, I'm with two of my friends, and we actually started laughing as soon as we saw the scoreboard because it's, it, it is so big when you see it on TV, but when you see it in person, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. And we watched actually the whole game on that scoreboard because where we were, like I said, we were behind we were about a foot below the field and behind the benches. So we could only see really the end zones. So majority of the game when it was in the middle, you know, we could kind of peek through, but we were watching that scoreboard and, <laughs> and it is, it is something to, to see because uh, I had never experienced anything like that. And, and the only thing I could do right away was just kind of laugh because it's, I mean, it is massive. Let's talk about the game itself for just a minute. Uh, this was the fifth win in a row. It started versus the Eagles, and now it's rolling on against the Eagles. Ira, you had said in a group text a few weeks ago, uh, no first-round pick does what Amari Cooper just did there. And look at him yesterday, having the best ride-receiving performance of anyone all year, Ira. So you call this one, and Amari Cooper is surely the difference maker uh, on this offense so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was just amazing. I was, I, I was at... The Oakland game at the same time, the Steelers Oakland game. So I could see, you know, you could see the stats and see what was going on. Um, but Amari, from then I got to watch the second, the, the end of the fourth quarter because the Steelers game ended earlier than the Cowboy game. Um, but clearly, different maker. I mean, everyone criticized. I thought it was, look, I wasn't thinking, I thought they had to make a move. And so first round pick was a little too much for Amari Cooper. But the fact is, he has shown, Jerry Jones got criticized in the national media by everyone, it seemed like. And it, this move has worked out perfectly for him. It, you know, it's um, it, you, Sean, you guys are in the driver's seat now for the NFC East. There's one stat that's alarming to me, though. You guys' defense is good. There's no question about that. Sean, you guys are even on, on takeaways this season. With a defense so good, you should be way in the plus like the Ravens and, and defenses like this are. Do you think this is going to be what keeps you guys from the Super Bowl? Yeah, and that's one of the concerns, you know, uh, when Dak had the costly fumble, uh, the red zone interception. You know, the, the perception is, as Cowboys fans, it's, it's, it's one extreme or another. It's either, you know, Dak's, you know, a, a superstar quarterback, which I don't think he is, or he's not a starter, which that's obviously not the case. But, you know, a lot of the Cowboy fans, they're realistic and they understand, you know, his limitations. Um, you know, is he a starting NFL quarterback? Yes. But, but turning the ball over as much as they have, especially in those crucial, uh, cru- crucial situations, and really it's just the red zone. Um, you know, having the, the pick, like I said, in the red zone, um, having that fumble, that's something that he's doing consistently. And we were talking about on the car right here, that's going to be the one thing that keeps this team, you know, from, from making a, a, a serious run in the playoffs. But I wanted to touch on Iris' point on Amari Cooper. Since he's come over, he's leading the league in, re- in receiving yards. He's leading the uh, league in in uh, touchdowns. Zeke Elliott is now uh, was was I think he was already leading the league, but he's had the most rushing rushing yards since that trade's happened. Dak, I believe, was fourth in passing yards since that time has come, and I believe he was number one in, in total QBR. So, in terms of that trade, to get a 24 year old two time Pro Bowl wide receiver who who's one of the top three route-running um, receivers in the league. What it's done is also open up, you know, Cole Beasley, allowing Michael Gallup, the third-round pick, to be a true number two receiver, which what he is. I mean, he's not a true number one. I mean, that is transforming this offense. And to give up a first-round pick when, you know, majority of the NFL fans can't even name an, uh, a wide receiver that's coming out in this upcoming draft, and to be able to steal him for half of this year on top of next year, I mean, there was talks. Uh, they were doing the, the press conference right next to us because that's where it is. It's in the Miller Lite uh, 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 in that area, like literally right next to us was, was Jerry and, and uh, Jason Garrett. And they asked him, you know, because of this trade, do you consider yourself a GM of the year candidate? And he kind of laughed it off. He said, well, he said, you know, I wouldn't go as far as that. And he's like, but, you know, a few weeks ago they were telling us we had a clean house. He said, look at the difference that trade's made. So it has really taken that defense – you know, shown how good they are because now the offense is playing up to that defense. Sean LaGrega live from Dallas here on Iron Sports. Thank you so much for popping in, and we can't wait to uh, catch up with you next week. Thanks, guys. 724 Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. All right, Ira, I want to hear all about Oakland. And this is a stadium that, like I said, a lot of people just haven't been there. It's not on people's bucket lists, per se, like some other stadiums, especially West Coast. You know, everyone wants to go see um, everyone wants to go see Seattle and places like that. Everyone wants to see L.A. Tell us about this. And there's also more to this series than leads on, especially for a younger football fan like me. I don't really or didn't really realize the backstory between the Steelers and the Raiders. 
<laughs> well, the stadium, the Oakland Coliseum, opened in 1966. And this is why you should see it. It's probably going to be torn down in two years because the Raiders are either leaving at the end of this year and moving for a temporary home somewhere because they're, they can't work out a, a lease for one more year. But in two years, they're going to be playing in a $2 billion stadium in Las Vegas. There's going to be no football teams playing there. And the baseball team has a plan to move out also. So it was... Um, it, there will there might, probably will no be be no longer be an Oakland Coliseum, and it has history. I mean, from seventy two to seventy five, the A's won three World Series. That was the Reggie Jackson A's. Mm-hmm. I was even very young for that one, but I just it's a very historic team, one of the best, greatest baseball teams of all time. It's a weird stadium. It's, it's one of the last stadiums that is in a bowl. Like remember when Three River Stadium and Riverfront Stadium, all these stadiums were in a bowl, so you, it was used for football and baseball. But that tends to make the the noise very loud. But unlike the other stadiums. The field goes from like, if you're sitting on the 50 yard line, that's home field, that's home plate. You're right behind home plate. So it's a different type of view. And actually, I've been in three rivers. The seats were perfect, like for the, for the football. It was actually laid out really, really nice how it was. But in 82, the Raiders moved, went to LA. So then there was no football for 13 years. So when they moved back, they added these 10,000 seats to this whole um, top tier of, of, of seats and that blocked all the mountains. It used to have a beautiful view of all the mountains oh, around wow. Oakland. And it blocked up use, so they call it Mount Davis. But then they couldn't sell the seats out, and they stopped having blackouts, and then they covered them all up. So whenever you see the stadium, you see a covering of the Raiders. Those are all seats there that they all covered up. So it was interesting being there, but uh, and it's one of the small stadiums. It only seats 53,000 people now. Um, but it, it was uh, it's because they just they don't, they don't get the attendance like they used to. Let's talk about the game itself. You're extremely, extremely... Um, positive and in a good mood after this, I thought we were going to get a little bit of depressed ira today because that was just a very, very interesting, for lack of a better word, loss that you guys had to a bad Oakland team. <laughs> well, yeah, well, just getting that, you know, I think I was, I think I'm in pain because I was thinking about the rivalry. <laughs> you know, when you ask the question about the rivalry, yeah, tell us. they played 29 times, 16 times the Raiders have won 13 for the Steelers. But they, what made this the rivalry is between 72 and 76, they met five times in the playoffs. And those five times, the first one was the immaculate reception where the Steelers had the game. Sort of what the game was over was lost. Bradshaw threw the ball and Harris caught the ball off his say out of nowhere after it bounced off Frenchie Fuqua and they won the game. Um, the Raiders won 73, but from 74, 75, and 76, they made the AFC Championship game, and the winner went on and won the Super Bowl. And if the Steelers would have won in 76, they potentially would have won three in a row, and maybe, as the Steelers say, four in a row would have gone down. They ended up winning four in six years. Probably could have won six out of six years. So that's where the rivalry was. And you could sense it, though. When I flew in from L.A. on the plane, and it was a southwest. You land right into Oakland, and the airport is now. You could walk it's like two miles from the airport <laughs> to the stadium, and everyone on the plane had a Raiders jersey or Steelers jersey on, and they were all getting along. I mean, all fans were they were great about it. I went to a sports bar, Raiders and Steelers fans. When you walk in, it's not the greatest atmosphere like Kansas City and the tailgating, but you still got a sense that I mean, you love the people wearing the Raider colors and the Raider, the black and silver and black, and it was it was. Fine. And they have a zone called the Raider Zone where people are outside and they're all watching the Red Zone TV. Uh, but it was it was very interesting. The stadium is old, stadium's decrepit, falling apart, but it is loud. And it's because I think, as unlike these new stadiums, it is circled. It's a total, complete circle, so the sound stays in there. Uh, but it was, uh, and it was fun. You know, I, I go to these games and I always listen to the radio uh, while I'm at the game. And Brett Musburger, who is one of the most famous broadcasters of all time, he does the local radio for C- for the Raiders, so you get to hear Brett. I had no idea. Heard broadcast a million games. So that was pretty cool, too. I had no idea that Musburger did their games every week. That's pretty cool. You had said, too, and this is something Oakland fans get a really bad rap, but you said Oakland fans were extremely accommodating. I think they were great. I think, look, this is one of the things that we talked about. In the 70s, the Cowboys, Steelers, and Raiders, that's when pro football was becoming in the forefront of sports. That's really when Monday Night Football started, the Super Bowls and everything. So that's why you have all the Steeler fans and the Raider fan and Cowboy fans, because those teams were great in the 70s. I met people that were Raider fans that, were, that live in Salt Lake City. I met Steeler fans from Salt Lake City. Like, these are, like, the Raiders were so amazing when you go to the game, even though they're moving to Las Vegas, they're a national following. They have fans everywhere. The, the whole airport, even after the game, was full of people flying to somewhere because they're Raider fans. It's like 
like I flew in for Steelers fans, but there were Steelers fans too. It's like one of those, those two teams that are defined by their town. You go to Pittsburgh, you go to Oakland, but they are more than just a Pittsburgh and Oakland. I think the Patriots are really just a New England Patriot type team. Absolutely right. A lot of other teams just like that. But this, even the Giants, New York Giants are more of a giant New York city, but, but there are Steelers fans. There are people, there's a guy I met from San Diego who was a Steeler fan and he's never been to Heinz Field. He like, watches every game. He had all the, you know, he goes all at least one game a year when they go to the West Coast if they can make it. So you have all these fans that have never been to Pittsburgh, but they just are diehard Steelers fans. It's so funny okay. how that works. Um, you know, being from New York, growing up in, in the 80s, there's so many people in New York, Ira, that are diehard Dolphins fans or 49ers fans. And it's because Dan Marino and Joe Montana were the greatest show in the world at the time. So I, I understand how that goes. You're right, the Steelers fans are everywhere. I mean, you, there's Steelers bars here in West Palm Beach, which is just crazy to think about. But you're right. This is why those teams, you know, why Dallas is America's team, why Pittsburgh, you know, you can find a guy in a Pittsburgh jersey in any city in America. I guess it's because of, like you said, this is when the game was built on these guys' backs. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and back and and to answer your question about the game, I mean, the Steelers are ten point favorites. The the the, the Raiders are two and two and ten. I mean, uh, that John Gruden was paid a hundred million dollars to coach the they team. They fired their GM uh, he today. And the quarterback are, are fighting. Um, they traded Amari Cooper to the Cowboys. They traded their best defensive lineman to the Bears. Uh, the team is leaving. I mean, I got to give credit to the fans. I mean, the stadium was 50-50, so there were a lot of Steelers fans there. But the Raider fans are still, you know, pushing their team along and, and everything. But it was, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was just disappointing because this was a game the Steelers had to win, and they lost. And, and you know, just to go quickly on the, on the game, it was the, the Raiders went down, scored a touchdown. Steelers went down. They scored it with 7-7. And then the field, the one story about the field, it was, it's, it was rain, it was like misty. And so you could see the players slipping all the time throughout the entire game. I was slipping in the stands. Like it wasn't raining, but you're below sea level. So even in the stands, it was all wet, but it's, it's like sunny skies, but everything is just mist out of everywhere. And then, uh, then Oakland finally hit a field goal, went up 10 7. And then it was the one thing about one of those games is that the Steelers got, uh, they got credit for. I mean, the Raiders committed three face mask penalties in a row, 45 yards and penalties, which was crazy. They ended up the game nine penalties for 113 yards for the Raiders. They were committing penalties the whole game. But at the end of the, end of the second half, Ben goes back to pass and he got sacked by, uh, by Clinton McDonald. And it's only the 11th sack by the Raiders all year. He was hurt, slow getting up. They ended up scoring a touchdown at the end of the game on the, like the last play where they threw it to Juju Smooth's sister, and he touched the ball, he tipped it, and then he caught it, and it was a perfect, they ruled it wasn't a catch, and it was a catch. But with 30 seconds to go in the half, Ben ran off the field. So I'm like, okay, well, he's off the field. He probably got hurt, you know, just test out. Well, they, they come back after halftime, Ben's not there. Joshua Dobbs, the backup quarterback, is the quarterback of the Steelers. Like, oh, my gosh, what happened to Ben? He's done. It's finished. He's on my fantasy team. He's the Steelers quarterback. The world's coming to an end. It's terrible. And then Dobbs is out there, and it's, you know, Steelers are leading 14-10. But uh, the, the first time they got the ball, they didn't do anything. And then the Raiders get the ball. And then suddenly Ben ran out on the field, and they all leave from the same area. It's not like each has their own locker room. So he literally ran across the 50-yard Like, well, the game was sort of stopped for a review. So in the game, he's just like, Ben is just running across the field. And he goes to the sideline. I'm like, okay, let's put him in. And they don't put him in. And they don't put him in for four whole series. And he's just standing there. And he's not, like, getting treatment. He's not getting something out. He's standing there. He's not on head. Says I saw him talk to Dobbs. He said a couple words to Tomlin, a couple words to the offense coordinator. He's just standing there like it's a preseason football game. As as the Steelers are getting nothing. I mean, the Steelers are doing absolutely nothing. They go five plays in a front. They've got five plays that went for it on fourth down. and didn't get it. Then Dobbs threw an interception. Then they had to punt again. And I'm like, this is crazy. You have to put if he's healthy, put him in. But I guess he was really, really seriously hurt and he couldn't go in. And then with the five minutes to go, Raiders went down and scored. So there's five minutes to go. And then Ben finally comes into the game. <laughs> so it was uh, – and then Ben, he comes in, and he's like, oh, how healthy is he? He's going to be whipping around. This is terrible. He looked fine. Six plays, 75 yards. He was six for six on the drive. Touchdown to Juju. Um, and uh, it's like, wow, Steelers took the lead 21-17. And then the Raiders go down, and they go down, and they threw this long pass, and they have the ball down at the, uh, uh, they had the ball down at like at the one at the seven yard line with a minute forty six to go, and the question of what Tomlin first did was he did not call 
a timeout to stop the clock. Sure, says clocks, and like they, you know, if they went and they scored a touchdown, then it would need time to come back. So he just let the clock run down. Then minute sixteen, they ran another play. Finally went down to on fourth down, uh, and they threw a touchdown pass to go up twenty four twenty one. So it's doomed. Steelers are over. They have like fifteen seconds to go. Almost the same amount of time that the Dolphins had in terms of their <laughs> comeback, and. Uh, they got they got the they got the um, the, the kickoff and uh, and it ran it back to almost the same yard like thirty yard line and they ran the same play the Dolphins did this hook and ladder to uh, Washington who laddled it to Juju but the Steelers only needed to get a field goal to tie so they were down three points so he ran all the way down to the twenty two yard line set up for a field goal ready to go and then Chris Boswell the kicker who's missed field goals all year long. Slipped and fell like Charlie Brown as he went to the field goal and kicked the ball into his offensive lineman. So we, the Steelers lost by three. It's Ira on Sports 95.9, like Charlie Brown. The True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's 7.36, just about five minutes away from former NFL quarterback Cliff Stout joining us here in the fun. But uh, Ira, I know, I mean, you're for a Steelers fan, you're very critical of Mike Tomlin. And I think that this is one of those weeks where you got to be scratching your head like how is this guy coaching us i i don't get it sometimes i was the worst of all the years of watching sports and i've seen players get taken out of games uh pitchers uh in the world series when they when the dodgers took will wheeler out of the game early and that's something i have i can't understand uh why ben sat for four series uh i thought he was hurt so that's why at the time I wasn't like, this was so. But at the end of the game, this is what Bratzenberger said. Coach was kind of saying, let's wait. He didn't want me to go back in. He wanted to see what was going to happen. Then he kind of gave me a look like, okay, let's go. And then Tomlin said he probably could have come in a series or so sooner. But we were in a rhythm and flow of the game. And then Tomlin, I, 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 I just rhythm and flow of the game. I, you, they went four series and did nothing except having fumbles and interceptions and punts. There was no flow. The flow was finished. Uh, why, if this was a test for Josh Dobbs, why would put in a game that you have to win? You have your Hall of Fame quarterback who, let me say, was 25 for 29 for the game. Only missed four passes, 202 yards, two touchdowns. How in the world do you have him on the bench uh, standing there when he could have scored like two or three more times? The point was to win the game. I, this is a coach that years ago, Ben would be in the game when they're up by 30. You're like worried he's going to hurt. One year, Le'Veon Bell got injured on the 16th game of the season in a game when they were leading uh, and they was hurt for the playoffs because he was kept in the game. I, I have no idea why in a game we had to win. It makes no sense. I've been trying to listen to some Pittsburgh radio and people are as perplexed as I am. This was, this was malpractice. Practice as a coach, you have to have Ben in the game. He was playing great. You have no backup quarterback. I, it doesn't make any sense at all. I just still don't understand the thinking. When he says rhythm of flow, it wasn't like one series. When he came back in and say uh, Dobbs had the ball, they didn't want to take Dobbs out right at that time. Maybe I could understand that. But Ben's just standing on the sideline. He was ready to go. Ira, you know, you brought up something interesting to me. We were talking a little bit earlier in the day. Rhythm and flow. This isn't a running back that got hot. You know, the third string running back. It's not a defensive end that came in and he's just abusing some random offensive lineman. This is your quarterback. He's a Hall of Famer. He needs to be in the game. Just about three minutes away from uh, Cliff Stout joining us here on Iron Sports. Ira, you want to fly through this Bears-Rams game real quick? I went into this season loving the Rams. They were going to be my NFC, you know, jump on team after I, you know, the, the Giants didn't do great as I predicted. I think the Bears have usurped them in my mind, not not just in skill level, but I really don't think the Rams are that good. You know, watching them week in and week out, they seem to be getting worse as the season goes on. Granted, the Bears had an interesting loss to the Giants, but th- this Bears team is for real. Well, I was shocked by the game. I mean, that was one of the games. Where, so you're watching at the airport with all the Raider fans, all the Steeler fans. <laughs> I watched the entire game. Uh, and you're just waiting for the Rams to, to score. Like, you're used to that Chiefs game when they're putting up 500 yards and another game with 450. I mean, they're averaging 400 yards a game. They only, they only had uh, 214 yards for the game. Uh, Goff had four interceptions, three sacks, and a safety. Todd Gurley, who's I'm the best running back in the league by far, 11 carries for 28 yards. Uh, I thought as, in the year that everybody thought the league was going to go to the 50 to 45 games, Suddenly the Bears come out of nowhere and have this amazing, tremendous game. And it was 6-6, and then they, they take the lead on a safety, and then they score a touchdown, <laughs> and they run a play. They, they score a touchdown, they call it the Santa Slay, where they had 
four defensive linemen, six offensive linemen, and a quarterback. <laughs> and <laughs> the poundage was 3,292 pounds, and they threw a pass. Uh, just a crazy win, and it's scary to, for the, the Rams. You think the Rams are unbeatable, they're great, they're, but this is why they need – it was cold – windy uh it's like but they will have home field advantage they'll be playing these games in la they're both the new orleans and, and la have an advantage because they're going to be the, get the home field advantage and stay in there until they meet in the championship game the saints went out it'll be in new orleans so uh but that was it's a surprise to see the rams you just watched them play all year and they played amazing uh games and except for the saints game but this was terrible very bad performance you know it's interesting you bring that up about the they're lucky that the nfc championship game is probably going to go through them because Sean McVay, Sean McVay has played in five games with the Rams, sub 50 degrees. He's only won one of them. And I'm not one of these big weather guys, but that just doesn't look good. And if you got to go back into Chicago in January, I wouldn't be thrilled about that. They're lucky that these will be home games. It's time to bring in Cliff Stout, former NFL quarterback. You, you saw him for Pittsburgh, Phoenix, then St. or St. Louis, then Phoenix as they moved Miami and Dallas. Cliff, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here, Cliff. You know, I've always wondered what it's like being on a team that just up and moves. And you were a part of one of the first, you know, NFL teams to do this when St. Louis decided this isn't working, we're heading to Phoenix. What was that whole experience like? Well, it was it was kind of weird because when they announced that they might move, no one in St. Louis put up a fight. <laughs> They're like, okay, <laughs> go ahead and go. And uh, then we found out it was going to be Phoenix, and we thought, well, that's great, you know, a nice warm weather place. But uh it was just kind of surreal that the town and the fans really didn't put up a stink about losing an NFL team. That That is not what I would have expected at all. So great information from an insider. Cliff, before I turn you over to Ira, we were talking earlier in the show. Where it, it's, it's my thought now. There's no great team in the league right now. you got about six very good teams, but they all have chinks in their armor. If you had to choose right now, who do you think the best team in the NFL is? Ah, well, I would have said yesterday, maybe the Rams, but uh, I'd have to go, and again, I'd go with Kansas City, but now losing their running back, that may make a difference, and Dallas is coming on, Pittsburgh's all of a sudden falling off the map, you know, just lost the ability to figure it out, and so uh, I think I would go right now with Kansas City, Mahomes is hot, and nobody's been able to figure him out yet. Uh, Ira, what do you have for Cliff? Cliff, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Um, growing up, you're a big fan of yours. Uh, it's just tremendous. And uh, you were at the Steeler for many years and quarterback the team in 1983 to a 10 and 6 record in the playoffs and had the distinction of following Terry Bradshaw. So I guess I know you've been asked this question before, but what is it? And, and maybe this is something you could probably start giving advice to that the quarterbacks have to follow Ben and Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And what is it like to follow a legend? Well, it's uh, not fun at, <laughs> at times because no matter <laughs> what you do, no matter how many you win, you're still not that guy if you don't win the Super Bowl. And, uh, but on the other hand, Terry was uh, really, really good about it. He helped me out quite a bit along during the season. Uh, was there all week long to, to do whatever he could to help. But uh, it's a tough situation, and, and you just have to block it out and be yourself, not trying to be, not trying to be the guy that was before you. Just be yourself and uh, give it time, and hopefully it works out for you. Well, and also, when you left the Steelers, you went to the USFL, and a lot of people, they get the USFL from the 30 for 30 series and those things, but you were like mm-hmm. one of the most successful quarterbacks in the history of the USL. I think you won two division titles, you finished with 34, with, uh, with 60 touchdowns and 6,400 yards. A lot of people say that the USFL offense was similar to what the offenses we are seeing today with the Kansas Cities and St. Louis and the, and the Los Angeles offenses. What was it like in the USFL during those two years when you're putting up those big numbers? Well, you know, the USFL was, uh, they were trying to make it fun. We had to have some kind of gimmick to make it fun. So they were a little more innovative in the way they did things. You know, they had the run and shoot down in, uh, down in Houston and uh, Steve, Steve Young running a wide open offense with the LA Express. We weren't really that wide open, but we were offensively a little more pass happy than what the Steelers were at that time. But uh, we were all trying to just make it fun, and there were a lot of good teams in that uh, 
in that league and a lot of teams that may have been able to compete as far as, you know, they didn't, we didn't have the depth of anybody in the NFL, but uh, there were some teams that were pretty darn good and uh, could have been competitive. And it's really a shame that it didn't last longer because, you know, now they're trying to start another league. There's plenty of players out there and there's plenty of need for fans to have football all year round. I mean, that's what ESPN is anymore. Football all year round on two or three of their stations. So, uh, but, but it was exciting well, that's right. to you know, just I be think in it together. Even go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was saying what what the the quality of players. People don't realize that that Jim Kelly played in the league. Steve Young played in the league. Herschel Walker, of course. That it wasn't like just another minor. That, that at one point that you the people thought the US, some USFL teams could beat an NFL team. Well, like I said, there were some like Philadelphia, I think Birmingham, uh, the LA Express at one time, New Jersey. I think they could have been at, least, at the very least competitive. I don't know how many we win, maybe a couple, but uh, I think we could have been competitive. And we had a lot of great athletes. I mean, we got three three straight Heisman Trophy winners in Herschel Walker, Flutie, and Mike Rozier. And uh, there were a lot of guys when the league finally folded, there were five or 600 guys came back and made it in the NFL. And there's several hall of famers in that, like Steve Young and Kelly and uh, Herschel. So, you know, it's, uh, it was very competitive and it was a lot of fun. And some of the teams like our team, it was like Pittsburgh South. Our head coach was from the Steelers and we had a lot of guys on the team from the Steelers, but uh, we all were in it together. The owners, the players, the coaches on our day off, the big argument was, you know, which golf course we were playing and who was driving the owners and the players. And that usually depended on who, you know, if we won or lost. So, but we were all out there together and it was a, it was a lot of fun. I don't regret for one second that I, that I left for that league for two years. Well, people forget that you also were a backup to Dan Marino in Miami and we're broadcasting live in West Palm beach. So could maybe give yeah. some insight about the year that you spent in Miami and, 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 and working behind Dan and, and what, what, what was that about? How what was that like? Well, you know, Danny was obviously I uh, I didn't get a lot of exercise when I was there. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, uh, he played every play, but you know, it's amazing uh, it, to work with different quarterbacks. I mean, I think I'm the only guy that's ever backed up three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and if Jimmy Johnson goes into the Hall of Fame, three Hall of, Hall of Fame coaches too. But uh, Danny was very unique. I mean, he was. He was, it was almost mesmerizing to watch him because he just saw things that, you know, they talk about his quick release. I think it was his quick vision and mind. He was just, he just made things happen quicker in his mind. He had like a photographic memory and um, he was just phenomenally accurate and his anticipation and relationship with the receivers was, it was, it was awe inspiring just to, just to watch it. So, and, and today, like, when you watch the Rams play and the and and the Chiefs and the wide open offenses and not touching the quarterbacks and, and and the rules about the secondary, do you wish you could come back and play in this type of situation? Or is, what do you see in terms of the game in terms of quarterbacking right now? <laughs> every single every single one of us that played before two thousand and five wishes we could come back and do it again. I mean. It's the innovation, the offensive coordinators and the Sean McVeighs, the head coaches that, that are that type of innovators. The things they do on the field are just so creative. And it's amazing when you spread the defense out, how much e- easier it makes offense. You know, when you come out with five wide receivers and there's three out by one sideline and three out by the other, they got to take five of their defensive up players out there to cover them, and which makes it much easier for the quarterback to read blitzes and to make a decision whether you, you know, if there's six in the box, you throw it, five in the box, you, you run it. And it just makes it so much easier for the quarterback. And because of how you spread the field out, it's harder to play a zone coverage. I was watching the Rams play Kansas City on Monday night a few weeks back, and, you know, it's just one 50-yard pass after another. <laughs> it was all like bump and run man the whole game. If you can protect the quarterback, any quarterback with a decent receiver is going to have a field day against man-to-man coverage. And, uh, yeah, with all the innovation and, and the fact that you can get 10 completions per game throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage, <laughs> you know, nowadays they don't run sweeps. They just run bubble sweeps. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> wide receiver. That's how they pick up six yards to the outside, you know. So uh, it's, it's a lot different, and we would all love to see. I'd like to see what Terry Bradshaw could do with 
Franco Harris in the backfield, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Frank Lewis, and Jimmy Smith with these kind of offenses today. And the, the fast offensive line that we had, I mean, we, you know, some, some people say a guy like Bradshaw couldn't play today. Oh my gosh. Put him in these offenses today and let me see what he can do. He'll prove you wrong. Well, well you had some wrong. amazing numbers too. So <laughs> in, in this offense, you would be, you'd be also having a, a, a great career. I, is there oh, a yeah. young, as a, a quarterback expert that like you are, because you were an NFL quarterback, but what, um, is there is it, what young quarterback do you like in the league? Would you say would you when, when you watch them, you're like, this is going to be the next superstar. Is it Sam Darnell? Is it Bayfield? Is there some quarterback that you really like besides Mahomes? I know everyone thinks Mahomes for Kansas City, but okay. take him out of the equation. But is there what young quarterback that you like a lot? I, I like Mahomes and I like Goff. He he, gosh, I watch him with the number sixteen, and he's you know, he doesn't have big bulging arms like some of these guys. He reminds me of Montana, just the way he walks around and moves. But uh, one guy I'm excited about this year, and I'm from Cleveland. You know, I, I cried my eyes out the night Pittsburgh drafted me because I was raised to hate Pittsburgh, but I got over that real quick once I got there. <laughs> but I still have a soft spot in my heart for, for Cleveland, and I was really hoping during the offseason that they would take uh, uh, Mayfield. I just, I like the way he plays, the enthusiasm he plays with, and you know, he's not, he's not all about himself. He's about winning and playing the best he can and making things happen for his teammate. And he's bringing – I like the energy he's bringing to Cleveland. Cleveland hadn't had much energy except LeBron James for a long time. And, uh, of course, that's basketball. But I just like <laughs> the way he plays, and I like the way he's responded so far this year. He's made had a couple games where he's made rookie mistakes, but – He's out there. When he does make a mistake, he does it with authority. He believes in what he's doing. He believes he can do it. He's got a rocket for an arm, and he's he's kind of like a Russell Wilson type. He is mobile, but right now he's running smart. You know, which if you're a running quarterback, you got to do that. Just be evasive and get down, get out of bounds, don't get hit. Because eventually, if you try to run hard, you're going to get hurt. They all do. <laughs> Well, Cliff, um, again, I want to thank you so much as we're talking to Cliff Stout, uh, former NFL quarterback and of the Steelers. And uh, when I was young, I, I uh, you know, I, it's just one of my idols in terms of watching. I went to training camp at St. Vincent one time and, and just, you know, it was tremendous. And, of course, you and all the Steelers for you know, always have been signing autographs and great with the fans and great with the kids and just a, a, a true legend. And I uh, appreciate you coming on, on my show and, and giving us an insight on being an NFL quarterback and, and your thoughts about today's game. I thank you very much. And thank you for those kind words. And can I do one thing before we hang up? Absolutely. I want to, yeah, I want to yeah, thank my, since you're, since you're, since you're in Florida, I want to thank my back doctor, Dr. Alfred Bonatti at the Bonatti spine Institute in Hudson, Florida. Twice now in the last 20 years, he's given me my physical life back. I had a couple surgeries 20 years ago, and I've had five surgeries this year. And after the last three, two weeks later, I played 54 holes of golf. And before that, I couldn't even walk 100 yards. So shout out to Dr. Alfred Bonatti. Look him up, Bonatti well, Institute. Cliff, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I wanted to bring this up before we let you go. You were an excellent prep golfer uh, back in Ohio. What's your handicap looking like mm -hmm. these days? Um, now that I'm playing, I didn't play much the first half of the year because I couldn't walk much, but, uh, I'm back down to about a five or six now. Five or I six. Was, I was a one handicap in high school, but, but I have to put an asterisk by that one handicap. That was playing the same course 200 times a year. <laughs> <laughs> it changes when you go to other courses and you get a different look and you don't know all the sweet spots, but I'd say legitimately back then I was, you know, two or three, maybe four. Uh, but nowadays, probably five to eight, depending on how much I've been playing. Well, Cliff, uh, I can uh, still hit the long ball, though. That's the only thing that keeps me coming back. I can still hit the long ball. Chicks dig the long ball, and that's why we're all yes, out there. They <laughs> Cliff, if you're ever in West Palm, we got plenty of golf courses here. I'm a 20 handicap. I hope you let me play from the whites. All right. Well, give me your contact info when we get off the phone. Thank you, Ira. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Thank you. Cliff Stout, excellent interview, man. Thank you so much for stopping by here on Ira on Sports. Ira, he, he's a fun guy, and that's some great insight hearing about, you know, it's a great question you asked him about looking at these young quarterbacks, because who's going to know this knowledge better than someone like this? Not only has Cliff done it himself, he sat behind two of the best quarterbacks ever, I. Well, and also he, 
to follow to follow to sit behind Bradshaw and Marino, but also to follow Bradshaw, take the team to the playoffs. Um, I think, as I said, he's going to be someone who we should probably set up a counseling service for the people who have to follow the quarterback after the Breeze and the Brady and the Benz and the Rivers because they're eventually going to retire and someone's going to have to be the next quarterback. And that's going to be a lot of pressure on these people because people are going to expect that same success. And, of course, that's going to be impossible to duplicate. 755, it's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Ira, I still want to talk Heisman. I want to talk NBA. We got boxing as well. But let's run through a couple of games from this week that I was still really interested in. Baltimore, I really like this team. I don't know why I always like the Baltimore Ravens. I do know why because they always play defense. And they came out and gave Kansas City a run for their money. This was a really exciting game. Yeah, Kansas City was up 17-10. Uh, they're playing at home, and it's, it was very cold. I think it was like 30 degrees. So, well, you'd like to see how Kansas City would play when it's cold. They don't have Kareem Hunt, the star running back, and sort of a running back by committee now. And the Ravens took a lead 24-17 in the fourth quarter. And, again, I'm watching this game. And the Chiefs almost lost this game. I mean, it was, it was a fourth and, I think, nine and they and and Mahomes was running around, running around, and he completed it uh, on the final drive to Tyreek Hill, and uh, it was disastrous because I'm playing a guy that has Mahomes and Hill on the team. Uh, <laughs> and then they scored a touchdown on on a fourth and a fourth and a three again, so they converted two fourth down conversions to uh, tie the game. Uh, they missed a field goal because the Ravens fumbled at the end of the regulation, and they then went to kick the uh, field goal. They missed that, but they went in overtime and won the game. But it was the Ravens played great. The Ravens are playing really good. Lamar Jackson, at quarterback, uh, it's going to be interesting. Now Flacco supposedly is healthy and what decision that they have to make, uh, but it should be interesting to see what happens going forward. But the, the Chiefs are winning. The one thing is that all the top teams sort of, besides the, the Saints won their close game, the Chiefs won their close game, the other good team, like the Patriots lost their close game, the Steelers lost their close game. Let's talk, let's go back to Thursday night, Ira. How many people do you know in the fantasy playoffs just happen to have Derrick Henry and the greatest, one of the greatest rushing performances of all time on their bench? This was a good game, and you know, I came into this, I loved the Jags last year. I love a good defense, like I said. They talked so much bleep in the offseason. I'm glad that they're getting it taken to them, and the Titans really took it to them on Thursday. Well, also, remember in 2015, we're going to talk about the Heisman, but Derrick Henry won the Heisman Trophy. So you have a Heisman Trophy winner who had done nothing all year. Uh, on my league, he was on the waivers. and in many, in many leagues, nobody even started him. If you had him on your team, you wouldn't have started him. He didn't, has done nothing all year to deserve starting. And suddenly, 17 carries, 238 yards, four touchdowns, a 90-yard 90 90-yard 90 run. Um, absolutely. One of the things that everyone in fantasy world was talking about is like, why I didn't start. If you had him on your team, you didn't start him. It's like, oh, you could have won your, the, this is now in the playoffs of fantasy, you would have won just with this guy. And if you, and how many, he was on so many waivers. He was, he was only on like a 20% or 30% of the teams anyway, on I think CBS. So he was available. And people are just like kicking themselves. So if you played him, you were either super, super, super smart or very, very lucky. Uh, it was just, you know, people will be talking about Derrick Henry now for like the next, four years for that performance yeah he um i think he actually he let uh who is it white come into the game or Dion lewis i'm sorry come into the game and he scored uh a t- no he didn't score a touchdown but he took up um some red zone carries derrick henry could have tied the titans record for five touchdowns in it or he could have broke the titans record he tied it so this was just even him like let's get him involved like this is what kind of player he is he's like i've had a night let's let some other guys in he in his after the game press conference didn't even realize you know the the precipice he was at not that he cared much uh he was uh, pretty much uh ear to ear smiles ira houston I-, I thought this team was smoke and mirrors and i'm not saying that they're not good because they won uh you know in nine games in a row but Indy, I've been touting them on I Run Sports for weeks. I didn't think Indy was going to win this game. Yeah, I mean, this Houston's a scary team because it's, a, it's an interesting team because the way the AFC is, is finishing right now is you know, two teams get by. Two teams don't play the first week, and then they get home field. They have to win two games, getting that by is important because you win two games, you're in the Super Bowl. And uh, if the Patriots lose another game and Texans win out, they have the same record. I mean, they could be the team that gets that bye. Now, I don't know how good they'll play at home and all those, but this was a, this was a win. They would have had a game lead on the Patriots if they would have won, and they end up losing to the Colts. Uh, and I'll I, I tell you what, Luck played great. 399 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Ty, uh, Hilton had nine catches for 199 yards, and it was 
right almost in the second quarter on. Because in the first quarter, Luck had like two yards passing because I was following him at, at the games on the stats. Uh, just a, a big win for Indianapolis, but there's still two games behind Houston, and they're fighting for the wild card. They're probably they're not going to get that division title. Uh, but it's a question. If people say, oh, no, Houston's going to be the team that's going to make it, they're inconsistent now. They, they, not inconsistent because they won nine in a row, but they didn't look good in this game. Indy's one of those teams, though, they have to be feeling good about themselves going forward. They're plus 49-point differential. When has Indy been in the positive, positive 50 at that in the last five years? These teams had no defense, and the offense is mediocre at best, and they're really starting to turn a corner here. Uh, Frank Reich and these Indianapolis Colts, I'm excited for them for next year. Like you said, it's going to be tough to get in this year. Packers-Falcons, we knew Aaron Rodgers was going to come out and try to prove the brass right that Mike McCarthy needed to go, and he, I mean, the Falcons stink, but still, that's a pretty decent win, I Yeah, and he had his 359 passes without passing for interception. Um the Packers are five, we're, you know, five, five, seven, and one. The Falcons are four and nine. Uh, two teams with two big money quarterbacks that are just uh, playing out the. I mean, I, I think every both teams had high expectations going into this year, uh, and for them not both not to make the playoffs is really surprising. Especially, I think the Falcons. It, it, it's extremely. They they had a, this is a terrible year being four and nine. Uh, let's talk uh, quickly. New Orleans. There was a point three weeks ago especially maybe five weeks ago after the Rams win, where you would have said the Saints are the best team in football, lock this up. These guys are good. I think there's a lot of holes in the Saints. And granted, they beat Tampa by two touchdowns, but this game was a little bit too close for comfort for me regardless, especially coming off uh, you know a really rough performance uh, in the past two weeks. They were down 14-3 at halftime. They scored 25 in the second half. They got a punt block. I, I do like the Saints because I feel that they get, they're going to they do now have they have the home field advantage over the Rams, uh, and I think it's going to be hard. They're going to win those two games in New Orleans, so uh, they have to finish this out. I mean, Breeze did not have that great game, but they they were they as I said, they, they, even though they won twenty fourteen, it was closer. But they're still winning. They're figuring out ways to win. And this is a Saints team where their defense is starting to really improve. And if they can get their defense improved, and the Rams defense uh, looks average sometimes, I mean, I think that uh, at best. Uh, this it was still a game they needed to win and they won it. Ira, real quick, Carolina. Uh, does Ron Rivera need to go? Um, they lose to Cleveland. I think the point is that they. I saw them when they played the Steelers and they were six and two. Now they've lost five straight games. Uh, this has been horrendous. And Mayfield outplay outplay Cam Newton. I don't know if Ron Rivera has to go. Um, they have a new owner who supposedly wants to make some changes. Cleveland fans are excited. Now they're saying, well, if we win our final three games, we're 8-7-1 and one, we'll make the playoffs. Um, such tremendous. I mean, now this is the first time since 2007 that the Cleveland Browns are going to have a winning record at home. Uh, just, look, everybody's excited about Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. Ever since the Hugh Jackson firing and signing by the Bengals, <laughs> the Browns have won three games. Bengals haven't won a single game since taking on Hugh Jackson. Um, playoff pictures, Iris, sum it up for us real, real quick. We're, what, three weeks away, and it's kind of pretty much set in stone. Well, it's set in stone that the Patriots are going to – I still have two games over the Dolphins. Uh, nine and four, Dolphins are seven six. Steelers at seven five and one, and Ravens seven six. It could go either way. I mean, the Steelers, the Steelers have the uh, Patriots at home next week, and then at the Saints, if they lose both those games and finish like eight seven and one, it's possible the Ravens could win the division with with uh, with with. They could win the division first of all. The Steelers then would lose the wild card because you have the Dolphins at seven and six, and you have the Colts at seven six, and uh, and the, and the Titans at seven and six. Uh, because Kansas City has the other division, they're going to they're going to be the number one seed at eleven and two. And the Chargers now this Thursday night's a huge game. The Chargers play Kansas City. Kansas City wins that game. It's pretty much wrapped up that they're going to be the number one seed. Chargers win the game. The Chargers could actually get the number one seed, and Kansas City could be a wild card. I and mean, that would be crazy if Kansas City became a wild card. But well, uh, it, it, that Thursday night game is going to be huge. And in the NFC, um, it's pretty much set in terms of five of the six teams. Cowboys have the division. They're eight and five. They're two games over Eagles and Redskins. Bears at nine and four over the Vikings at six five and one. Saints are five games ahead of the Panthers and the Rams are four games ahead of the Seahawks. Seahawks, but the question is for that for those two wild cards, you really have the Vikings and Seahawks, which are playing today. And if if the Vikings win and they go seven five and one and Seahawks are seven and six, 
Um, they they each have a game over. I mean, it's amazing. The Eagles and Redskins at six and seven. The Panthers are still in there, even though they're losing games left and right. But I would think that it'd be Cowboys, Bears, Saints, and Rams, and the Vikings and the Seahawks will be the wild card. Mark my words, Ira. This Thursday night, the uh, L.A. Chargers beat Kansas City and take oh, take the driver's seat here in the AFC. My prediction. What's your prediction for tonight? You didn't say uh, who who you liked versus in this Minnesota Seattle tangle. I like Seattle. I'm rooting for Minnesota. I have Adam Thielen as a wide receiver, and I'm in the playoffs of fantasy, so I'm very interested in Thielen playing really, really well. But Seattle's playing great. Russell Wilson, and they're at home. Uh, I would think Seattle's going to win. But this is a big game for Kirk Cousins, $30 million quarterback. Uh, this is going to be a great football game. We've got a great game tonight and a great game on Thursday night. And, and it's, with the, this year's been very exciting, and these two, these two games should be really good. Uh, interesting you bring up fantasy. I'm up 48 points, and I'm playing against Russell Wilson and the Seattle defense. So this should be, it's going to be a nail-biter for me. Heisman Trophy, Kyler Murray is your champ. And you know, Ira, they were talking about how he was just set on baseball. He got drafted, I believe, sixth or ninth overall by the Oakland Athletics. He's already got a $4 million check from them. Um, he may be going to football, is, is some of the rumors now. Coming off a Heisman Trophy win, he beat out Tua. What do you think? Well, I thought Tua should have won. I, I think, I think most people were surprised at the vote totals. It was five seventy-one to two ninety-six. I think people thought it was at least going to be really close, and it really wasn't that close at all. Um, nobody else really had more than four votes. It was between those two, and uh, and and Haskins had forty-six votes. I'm so so it was, but Haskins. But if you look at the numbers, I thought Tua had a better year. I think he plays better defenses. Um, I mean, they put these. Two had 37 touchdowns, four interceptions. Murray, 40 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He ran for more yards than Tua. But I, I felt Tua played better competition. Um, the exciting thing is they play each other uh, in the bowl game, in the Orange Bowl, and we can see exactly. I, I am convinced that uh, Alabama will destroy Oklahoma. And I just felt like, again, now it's like if you want to be a win the Heisman Trophy, go to the Big 12. This is two years back-to-back. That the Big Twelve, a quarterback at Oklahoma, I mean, at Oklahoma quarterbacks now won the Heisman um, in that system that they play, and with nobody playing defense in the Big Twelve, and you're going to put these big numbers up in order to in order to in order to win the Heisman. So, uh, two is back for next year. He's another year, so he'll be the favorite to win next year. Um, you know, it's funny they TCU. Uh, was the only top 25 rated defense that Oklahoma saw all season. The uh, Alabama tied face four top 25 defenses. I probably wouldn't give it to... And, and, one, and one other thing is, I went through back, if you look at the last, one second, the, the winners, last year, Lamar Jackson beat, the, the, I mean, two years ago, beat Deshaun Watson. The year before, McCafferty and Watson were two and three, with Derrick Henry winning it. The year before that, Mariota, Armari Cooper, and Melvin Gordon. The year before that, Jameis Winston, A.G. McCarron. Uh, the year before that, Johnny Manziel was not right. But then R.J. Three and Andrew Luck, <laughs> Kim Newton, and Andrew Luck. The statement that if you win the Heisman, you're never going to be good in the NFL isn't really true. These everybody knows the names I've just mentioned. They've all played. A couple of them have played out, but mostly these are pretty much stars in the NFL. So the idea that you win the Heisman, you won't be good in the NFL. I think that was years and years ago. Now. Now we'll see if Murray goes and plays baseball and doesn't go to the NFL. But even if he does play baseball, people are going to say, oh, you should come try to play the NFL, those types of things. No, it was a great move uh, for Jeff, what's his name, Jeff Samarski, um, the guy, the Notre Dame uh, receiver who ended up, Samarja, who ended up playing baseball. Great move. And he's a middling pitcher in baseball, but he's not getting hurt, and he's going to play for 20 years. Or you could just go get drafted by the Knicks, Charlie Ward style, after you win the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> that, that's, that's up to you. I'm sure the Knicks will be knocking on Kyler Murray's door. Uh, real quick, Ira, of course you went to the Oakland game yesterday, but you were also at Spurs-Lakers, and this Lakers team, they got to start turning a few heads in the Western Conference. They're turning a few heads. They are playing better. As Every time I saw them play the Spurs, LeBron in the fourth quarter, can turn it on like no other player can. He totally dominated the game. Just when I was in Cleveland and I saw them when they played against the Lakers, LeBron seems to now have this where he's coasting for three quarters and just wins the game by himself. Uh, he, uh, in that fourth quarter, he was hitting threes from 30, 35 feet away. He was dribbling. He takes the ball on a rebound and just, and no one can stop him. He's making his free throws. He's playing great defense. The team is inspired with him. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is becoming. Watch the Lakers and watch Kuzma. He is trying to turn Kuzma into Scotty Pippen. I, I, I see it before my eyes. He's <laughs> talking to him the entire game. Kuzma is getting better and better and better. He is going to be an all-star if he keeps playing at this level. Uh, and LeBron is 
he wants to win. Like, this is not some one-year wasted. They're, they're making these moves for a reason. I think they see the West Western Conference. Houston has the next-to-worst record in the league, in the conference. Uh, I think the Lakers are looking at teams like Oklahoma City and Denver, and, and LeBron thinks he can be, beat those teams, and he's not afraid of Golden State. So uh, it's exciting. I mean, the Lakers don't I, – I did not – I thought the Lakers were going to be good this year, of course, to make the playoffs, but I didn't see that they'd be the number two seed, and, and they're gunning for that, maybe even the one seed. Ira, the only thing you like more than boxing and fighting in general is Russian boxers. And <laughs> Vasily Lemchenko beat uh, Jose Pedraza uh, over the weekend. Tell us about this fight and why it's not a good thing for HBO. Uh, well, it's not a good thing because HBO is out of the boxing business right now because they've decided to not cover boxing. So anyone who grew up watching fighting, uh, they, for the last 30, 40 years, have been the, the center for watching boxing and all the greatest matches, but they've decided not to focus on it. But Lomachenko, Lomachenko is considered the pounder for pound best fighter in the world at lightweight, and he just unified the titles. But he still fought on ESPN, and he still fought on, which is great, because I'm glad people could watch the fight. And he's an exciting fighter. He's very good. Uh, but it was in the who's. It was not in even Madison's regard in the main arena. Uh, but they're trying to develop him. I mean, they're doing the smart thing. They're trying to make Lomachenko the big star of boxing, uh, one of the big stars. And it, it's hard. I mean, it, he's not selling out 18,000 seat arenas. He looked good in the fight. Uh, Pedraza, it was an exciting fight. Pedraza actually fought and, and did well. I mean, he won like three or four rounds on some of the judges' cards, and uh, Lomachenko had a unanimous decision. But I do like the fact that Lomachenko now seems to be fighting every like four or five months, so he's active, and uh, now that ESPN has really taken over boxing in terms of a lot of these fights, they're going to push more boxing. And next month, get excited, because the UFC now comes to ESPN. So they're going to be a lot of boxing matches and also the UFC uh, on ESPN. Finally, ESPN doing something right. You want to know who did something right tonight? Cliff Stout, former NFL quarterback. Great interview with him here on Ira on Sports. Nice of Sean McGregor to check in from Dallas. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.